Next on PIJN News, Dr. Chaps reports on these important issues. The Islamic State issues a six-page paper justifying sex slavery of women. We interviewed Dr. Bill Warner, an expert on political Islam and how the Islamic religion treats women. Former Navy Chaplain Gordon James Klingenschmidt took a stand to defend religious freedom by daring to pray publicly in Jesus' name. Now he helps you by reporting the news, discerning the spirits, and praying the scriptures. Would you pray with us? Here's Dr. Chaps. God bless you in Jesus' name. My name is Chaplain Gordon James Klingenschmidt. Dr. Chaps, and you're watching PIJN News. On this show, we like to do three things. We report the news, we discern the spirits, and we pray the scriptures in Jesus' name. Today we have a newsmaking guest, a frequent contributor to our program now, Dr. Bill Warner. Welcome, Dr. Bill Warner. Good to be here. Uh, Bill is joining us via Skype. He has a PhD in physics. He is, for the last uh, several decades, studied Islam. His website is politicalislam.com. Uh, Dr. Bill, we just heard that the Islamic State has now issued a six-page paper justifying the practice of sex slavery. In other words, taking women and selling them for sex, and somehow that is justified as a pure version of their practice of Islam. Uh, are you familiar with this, and can you explain? Very much so. Uh, Islamic State, uh, which, by the way, is 100% Muslim, is 100% Islamic. I know that Obama has said that it's, there's Islamic State is not about Islam, but it is. And this paper they've issued is part of it's. There's a six-page article inside of an 80-page magazine they've just produced, Volume Nine of Dabiq. Uh, Islamic State is very, very clear about furnishing the theological basis for everything it does. The Caliph of Islamic State, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, a, has a PhD from Al-Azhar University on Islamic Studies. This man knows his material. Every time Islamic State produces a new video or a new magazine, I'll read it just to sort of like a professor grading the paper, and Islamic State always gets a 100 score. They're dead on. And so some people may have been aware of the fact that Islamic State has captured both Christian and Yazidi women and sold them in the marketplace uh, for sex slaves. And there were some who have criticized them on this uh, because they're saying this has nothing to do with Islam. And so Islamic State fires back and says, basically, here is chapter and verse as to why we're doing is exactly the Sunnah of Muhammad and obeys the strict interpretation of the Quran. And Islamic State is always right. So sometime in sometime in the you know seventh century, when when Muhammad was a warrior and he was going around conquering people, did he take sex slaves and did he teach his followers to do the same? He did absolutely so. First off, uh, the Quran speaks of those whom your right hand possesses. That's the sword hand, and it refers to women that you've captured. So sex slaves are referred to in the Quran itself. But the most detail we have about sex slavery comes from the Sunnah, S-U-N-N-A, the Sunnah of Muhammad. And the most famous sex slave that Muhammad had was a Christian woman. Her name was Mary. She was Coptic Christian. She was fair of complexion and had wavy dark hair. She was his favorite, one of his favorite sexual partners, and she gave him a son named Ibrahim. 
So remember now, the words and actions of Muhammad, over 91 verses in the Quran say, every Muslim is to imitate Muhammad's actions and words. So if Muhammad had sex slaves, all of his companion had sex slaves. As a matter of fact, he gave sex slaves away to his jihadi lieutenants as rewards for them. So no, sex slaves are part of the Sunnah of Muhammad. I mean, yes, the Sunnah of Muhammad, and they are, and that's this is what Islamic State is saying. Look, Muhammad had sex slaves. We have sex slaves. Life is good. We have also reported on this show, and and there is some interpretation of the Quran that the reason Muslim women wear the hijab or the headscarf or sometimes the burqa is to distinguish them from the infidel women who don't wear that. And therefore, when you're in combat and you capture some women, you know not to rape the Muslim women because they're wearing a headscarf and you know that any woman who is not wearing a headscarf is fair game. Is rape a common practice on the battlefield? Rape is part of the jihad. Uh, it's clearly stated that, here's an example. Men, Muslim men are never supposed to have sex with a married woman, but if you capture a Kafir woman, her marriage is immediately annulled. So if you have sex with her, rape her, you're not raping a married woman. She's been divorced by the act of capture. So, I mean, that's just the way Islamic Sharia law reads. It's, and it's very clear on this issue. This is, you know, something, well, it all depends on how you interpret it. No, this is as clearly laid out as it can be. And now this six-page paper, it, does it refer to the Kafir or the, the non-believers and, and how their women should be treated during this? What, what's happening in Syria right now? What's happening in Syria is the Sharia is being applied. And by the way, they go on page after, out of these uh, six pages, at least two and a half of them are quotes from the Sharia, quotes from the Hadith, quotes from the Sirah, quote from the Quran. These people lay out meticulously the theological basis for what they're doing. There's even a word which is interesting for capturing slaves, which is sabi. And they say, look, all of Muhammad's companions. Now, by the way, the word companion here is sort of with a capital C, and this would be like the disciples or an apostles of Jesus. So these companions, this is a technical word, and the actions of some of the companions is also sunnah, that is, if Abu Bakr, who was the first caliph, his actions are considered sunnah as well because Muhammad taught him. So no, all of these things are taught. These people are meticulously carrying out the Sharia. Well, that's fascinating. We're gonna take a short break. And when we come back, we're gonna have an entire segment with uh, Dr. Bill Warner about marriage in Islam. And we're gonna talk about polygamy and, and ownership of wives right after this short break. This is PIJN News, defending your religious freedom. Dr. Chaps will be right back. Let's take a stand with Israel today. Would you sign a petition with me? Visit our website, PrayInJesusName.org. Again, that's PrayInJesusName.org. And sign a petition to defend Israel, who is America's closest ally, certainly in the Middle East, if not in the entire world. We remember watching Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu give that speech at the UN when he warned about the making of an Islamic nuclear bomb, and that is being forged in Iran. But what are we doing now? The USA is negotiating with the Europeans to 
allow Iran to continue to develop nuclear material. Well, that's not right. Do we really trust this man, Hassan Rouhani, the president of Iran, who is the former nuclear weapons chief? You don't think they're gonna build a nuclear bomb when his predecessor, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, literally threatened to wipe Israel off the map of history. Now, we need to take a stand. Why is American foreign policy to fund the Muslim Brotherhood? Let's sign a petition to stop that. Stop sending our taxpayer dollars to fund the Muslim Brotherhood. And let's also sign a petition to protect the Jewish homeland. Both of those are available today at our website, PrayInJesusName.org. And when you sign those petitions, we will fax them to Congress. Instead, the failed foreign policy of the Obama administration, starting with Hillary Clinton and now John Kerry, is pressuring Israel to give up Jerusalem? Why? We should never divide the eternal capital of Israel, which is Jerusalem, and we should move the American embassy there. But instead, now the Obama administration is unfreezing the Iranian bank accounts, sending $7 billion to them on the hope of empty promises that maybe they'll stop their nuclear program. Let's defend Israel. The Jewish people are our friends. They have a right to security in their homeland. Visit PrayInJesusName.org. Again, that's PrayInJesusName.org and sign that petition right now. Empowering you, the grassroots activist. Here is Dr. Chaps. Welcome back. I'm Dr. Chaps. You're watching PIJN News. Viewer discretion is advised. If I didn't say that at the top of the show, we're talking about some sensitive areas about how Muslims treat women, not just generally, but actually as part of their theological basis in the Quran. How does Muhammad and the Quran teach Muslims that they should treat women? Our guest is Dr. Bill Warner via Skype. Welcome back, uh, Dr. Warner. Good to be here. So before the break, I, I kind of promised that we would talk about the idea of polygamy and marriage within Islam. What, is the, what does the Quran teach? Well, first off, a man can have one, two, three, or four wives. Now, he's supposed to care for them equally, and he's not supposed to take on another wife until he has enough money to support her. The reason I'm bringing this up is, is there's a perversion of our laws of dealing with welfare. Normally, a Muslim doesn't get to marry a whole bunch of women because he doesn't have enough money to support them. But our welfare system is now, preventing, is now providing enough money so that his cousins can get a welfare check, too. So polygamy now is being supported by our welfare system, both in Europe and America. Well, here in America, I've also seen that although polygamy is discouraged, they get away with it by saying, well, no, I divorced that first one and I still owe her alimony or child support. Uh, even though he's got four wives and they all live in his house, he may have divorced three of them and he's still married to the fourth one, but he's getting welfare checks to support all of the children. Uh, is that on the American taxpayer? Well, of course. <laughs> who do you think is who do you think is picking up those checks? Now, we're we're uh, all of what we view as America is slowly being eroded away by the Sharia, uh, and this is just what we're witnessing in front of us. And this is, I cannot go down to the courthouse and register a second wife. By the way, having been married for fifty-three years, I don't want a second wife. One's enough, but. <laughs> If I'm a, as a Kafir, I can't do that. But if I want to uh, manipulate the welfare system as a Muslim, I'm allowed to do so. Yes, and by the way, today is my 24th wedding anniversary. Uh, and I, I'm happy with one wife, uh, <laughs> just like you are. But 
Talk about the teaching of Muhammad. Did he have more than one wife and is it okay to marry an underage woman in Islam? Yes, yes, and yes. Now, the ordinary Muslim is restricted to four wives and as many sex slaves as he wants. Muhammad, it's really not clear how many wives he had. Let's say there's 11 or 12, that's good enough. But we also know he had sex slaves as well. So therefore, multiple, multiple wives is totally acceptable. And as many sex slaves as you want is also acceptable. So there's the, yes, it's completely within the bounds of the uh, Quran to have multiple wives. What about children? D did he have... Uh... Uh -huh. Yes. You're touching on, you know, I find that most people know very little about Muhammad, but everyone's heard this one fact, which is a fact. Muhammad's married Aisha when she was six years old and consummated the marriage when she was nine years old. It is said he waited because of the generosity of his spirit. But anyway, so remember, Muhammad is the perfect Muslim. Ninety-one verses say that everything he did is acceptable. So therefore, child marriage is acceptable under Islam. Now, in many countries, the laws of the land do not permit marriage to a six-year-old. But within the Sharia, it is certainly allowed to consummate the marriage at age nine. Well, here in America, and under the Christian worldview, we would call that rape, because a child at age nine is not able to consent like an adult would give voluntary consent to that. Uh, are you saying that in Islam it's okay to rape children, or they don't think it's rape, they think it's consensual? See, to them it's not rape. Uh, to them it's like, well, Muhammad did it. Muhammad's the perfect man. Allah says that we're to obey, we're to follow his example. So sex with young girls is perfectly acceptable under Islam. It, it is Sunnah. Well, that is discouraging. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard it put quite that way, but yes, it is discouraging. We, we shouldn't be laughing it's about this. I mean, it, well. it's, a, it's a horrific crime, uh, but are there examples now where this is happening, uh, not just throughout the Middle East, but here in America that you're aware of? I don't know of child marriage yet that's been permitted here in America, so I can't say that it has. But I will predict that it will be, and I will predict that furthermore it will be allowed and then not only will politicians say it's allowed, chaps, you'll find that there will be some ministers who have a pulpit who will also allow it as well. Well, we have a history in America of overcoming polygamy. For example, we know that in the 1850s, 1860s, leading up to the statehood for the state of Utah, America decided that polygamy was bad because it's not equal. It's not like a woman is allowed to have four husbands in Islam, what would, a, what would an is, the, is the Quran teach about a woman having four husbands? Uh, well, now see, you're assuming here that there's an equality between men and women in the Quran. I went through and divided, took every verse in the Quran that had to do with women, and then divided these, all of these verses into three stacks, where the women are elevated, the women are equal to men, and the women are inferior to men. In roughly two-thirds of the cases, the women are held to be inferior to men. As an example, it is a male who determines when the babe will be removed from the nursing breast. That's really odd. I mean, my, we have daughters and my wife nursed them. I never once thought, you know, Joan, you need to stop nursing uh, Heather. She's, she's, she's had enough of the breast. I mean, like, who would do that? Well, the Quran does that, gives that right to the man. Well, so, that is, 
uh, interesting. Uh, we're going to take another short break here, and when we come back, Dr. Bill Warner and I are going to complete this important television program about how the religion of Islam generally holds attitudes toward women that are destructive in society. We'll be right back after this short break. Giving you a megaphone in Washington, D.C. Dr. Chaps will be right back. How can you discern the thoughts in your own mind from the thoughts that come to you from the Holy Spirit or from angels or from invisible demons? I'm Dr. Chaps and you've seen us on this show talk about the gift of discerning of spirits. Maybe you know that I wrote my PhD dissertation entitled How to See the Holy Spirit and Angels and Demons. And it's all about this important topic of receiving the gift of discerning of spirits. How can you discern the thoughts that come to you? How do you know to learn to hear the voice of God and discern that from the demonic voice which tempts us to sin? Well, this is an important skill and it will change your ministry. It'll change your life, which is why we've created now not just a book, but a 17-part video Bible study on a four-disc DVD set that we would like to send to you and your church and your family and your small group. This important Bible study series goes through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. How did Jesus discern the spirits? How did the Apostle Paul discern the spirits? What does the Old Testament say about demons and the Holy Spirit and angels? When you learn to discern, it will transform your life and your ministry. Please visit our website, PrayInJesusName.org, and get this important video resource. Or call us toll free at 866-Obey-God, and for a suggested donation of $99, we'll give you the entire 17-part Bible study series for just $99. And if you order today, we'll throw in the book for free. Visit our website, PrayInJesusName.org, or call us toll-free at 866-Obey-God. Get this important Bible study series for your family. Call today. He is the intersection of church and state. Here is Dr. Chaps. Welcome back. Our guest again is Dr. Bill Warner. In this next segment, I'm going to ask some very sensitive Questions, again, viewer discretion is advised if you have small children around. Uh, Dr. Bill, we have talked about the idea of sex slavery and polygamy and, and child brides, uh, and this is all endorsed by the false religion of Islam in their false book, the Quran, written by their false prophet, the Muhammad and his followers. Uh, you know, and some of these ideas are horrific to me, and I'm sure horrific to many of the viewers, but we haven't even begun to talk about perhaps the most controversial and the most disgusting practice that I've heard of, and that is female genital mutilation. Can you explain in, in gentle terms what that is, and is it related to Islam? Well, unfortunately it is. And by the way, do you realize if we were having a discussion of Hinduism, Buddhism, atheism, you wouldn't have to issue these disclaimers about if you have children around, we're talking about Islam, you may not want them to hear what we're saying. I mean, think about that just for a moment. That's a comment within itself. But female genital mutilation is another word for female circumcision. Now, male circumcision is a relatively small event and does not impair 
life after it. Whereas female genital mutilation removes the clitoris by surgery. Now, we have to understand that this surgery is frequently done by women on their own children, or at least a neighbor's child. So this is how Islam shapes the human mind, where a woman would actually desire that her daughter never have sexual pleasure. Now then, if you go to the Reliance of the Traveler, which is a standard uh, Sharia law text, there is a lie when it comes to f f uh, circumcision. It says that the circumcision is to be very limited. Well, that's what it says in English. But if you read the actual Arabic, it says, no, the clitoris is to be removed. So to call this circumcision is simply not true because circumcision is like, well, not a big deal. Whereas well, this is an enormously big deal. It's not the same as uh, in the Jewish or Abrahamic tradition of circumcising a male where they remove no. some of the skin around the head of the male part. This is actually removing the entire female part. Yes, it, yes. And why is this done, you would say? Well, in Islam, the woman is the man's property. For instance, the marriage contract is really a business deal. Money is transferred. So part of the subjugation of the woman is, is that her honor basically her sexual behavior is totally reflects upon the man. So one of the ways to have a wife who never strays is to have her not have any sexual desire. Now, the, the Sharia goes on about sexual desire because you see, a woman is to grant the man sexual intercourse immediately upon being requested. There's even a hadith which says, if the woman goes to the stove to remove a loaf of bread that's baking, if the man wants sex then, she's to let the bread burn and to have the sex immediately. So this, once again, is a subjugation of the woman. And, I mean, this is, I agree with you, this is one of the most horrific things that I've ever heard of. But it's referred to, for instance, the, the Sirah, the life of Muhammad, implies that his favorite, remember we were talking about his child bride, that she had been circumcised. Well, again, to mutilate a woman is almost to treat her as if she's property and not as if she is an equal. Obviously, they, they view women in this way uh, from what you're describing here, and that's in part of the related teachings that are associated with the Quran. Talk about the idea of, of honor and, and the, as it relates to if a woman cheats on her husband, is that cause for something called an honor killing? Oh, yes. Honor killings, by the way, let's discuss that. A Muslim would say, oh, there's no honor killing in Islam. Well, explicitly there is not. But the Sharia says that if the man kills his wife, there's not to be a penalty if, if she has been straying from things. So it may not be, it may not say you have to kill her, but there's no penalty if you do. Honor killings, by, excuse me. Honor killings are not some drunken blowout in which the man comes home and kills the wife. This is something that is done according to the Sharia, and it is usually a family affair. For instance, if a woman is, her, the daughter is, uh, dishonors the man, then the woman can be killed, but it's not a, like I say, it's not some outrage. The family cooperates and does it together. So that is, an honor killing is a family affair. 
And it's not just for adultery. What if a woman converted her religion to Christianity? Would well, that be now, cause for a family to kill her? Oh yes, but it could also be for the male. Now, let's be clear here. Apostasy is a capital crime within the Sharia. Generally speaking, the, they're not killed, but instead, like Noni Darwish, who is a colleague of mine, when she became a Christian, the family said, we could kill you, but we choose not to. However, never get in touch with us again. Don't call, don't write, don't email. You are dead to us. Well, yeah, I suppose a lot of religious conversions end up breaking families apart, whether you're converting to or from any religion, uh, there may be division thereafter, but this is something more. This is uh, maybe cause for an honor killing like we've seen in Toronto a couple years ago, mm -hmm. I think in Indiana last year, uh, or in Buffalo, New York, maybe you've heard, even here in North America, there are cases of honor killing where women are killed. Oh yes, and it could be because they were wearing blue jeans, or they listened to uh, pop music, or just, there's, you see, with this, and within Islam, there's really not a process which we would call dating. Uh, there's an arrangement made, it's, it's like a business deal. So, yes, I mean, there, you, you can be killed for doing the wrong thing, and, and it would be something that would be like, really? Something that small. But the woman reflects the man's honor. If he cannot control his women's sexual behavior, then he is dishonored. And the only way to restore honor is with blood sacrifice. Blood must be spilled. As a matter of fact, it's interesting. There's a whole issue of blood that runs throughout all of Islam. In the Hajj, there is no Hajj, which is going to Mecca. There has to be a blood sacrifice involved. And an honor killing is basically a blood sacrifice, which then restores the man's honor. It's all about the man. We're, we only have about one minute left, but you just mentioned that marriages are often arranged as if it is a business deal. And, and we started the top of this show talking about sex slavery. Uh, mm -hmm. Are women generally v viewed in Islam as, as equals to be respected or as property to be disposed of? There are some verses which say that a woman as mother is elevated above all beings. And that on judgment day, a woman and a man are both judged by their, how they were in this life but a woman will be judged on how well she obeyed her husband. Most of Islam subjugates the women. And what astounds me is, having met these women, is they seem to be content with their subjugation. It is a total brainwashing process. Well, that's frightening to me. I'm gonna take a moment and pray. Would you pray with me? Uh, Father in heaven, we pray that this false religion will not continue to expand, not only in Syria, but here in America. Father, we pray for respect toward women as our equal peers in this life. Father, we pray that the gospel of Jesus Christ will intervene and uh, transform the world with truth. We pray this blessing in love and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Our guest has been Dr. Bill Warner. His website is politicalislam.com. We're out of time, but please visit our website, prayinjesusname.org. We'll see you next time.
Chaplain Klingenschmidt is a graduate of the U.S. Air Force Academy who earned his Ph.D. in theology from Regent University. As a former Navy chaplain, by taking a public stand for freedom of speech and religious expression, and by sacrificing his own 16-year career and million-dollar pension, he was vindicated by the U.S. Congress, who changed the law and restored freedom for military chaplains to pray in Jesus' name. Dr. Chaps not only defended the Constitution, but his petitions have helped change the law in 10 states, restoring freedom to pray in Jesus' name. Dr. Chaps needs your financial support to stay on the air. Would you please send your best donation today? Please visit PrayInJesusName.org to donate online. Or you can mail a check to Pray In Jesus Name Ministries, Post Office Box 77077, Colorado Springs, Colorado 80970. You can also call us toll free right now at 866-Obey-God. That's 866-O-B-E-Y-G-O-D. Please sign up for our free emails at PrayInJesusName.org. Again, that's PrayInJesusName.org.